Welcome to the Forensic Nutritionist Podcast. My name is Fiona Tuck. I'm a nutritional medicine practitioner and a qualified skin therapist for over 25 years. The Forensic Nutritionist Podcast takes an investigative approach into all things nutrition, gut health and skin, using qualified experts to bring you information that you can trust. We are all unique. The information presented herein is not intended to diagnose, to treat or cure disease. Please seek professional medical guidance prior to modifying any diet, exercise or lifestyle program. Let us begin. On the podcast today, we have Nicole Dynan. Now, Nicole is known as the gut health dietitian. She specializes in food intolerance and digestive health. She also runs a network of private practices in Sydney. She's a qualified sports dietitian, a guest lecturer for the University of Sydney, and media spokesperson for the Dietitians Association of Australia. Today we're going to be talking about how food can affect our mood, particularly how gut health can affect our brain function. So Nicole, thank you for coming today. I'm really excited about our topic (laughs) for the morning. Thanks for having me, Fiona. Can you share with everybody just a little bit about your career background and how this has led you to doing what you're doing today? Sure thing. Um, I suppose, like if I really think back, it, my interest in food has been ever since I was tiny because mum used to have this massive vegetable garden wow. out the back. So, and she always encouraged us to go and pick and eat directly from it. So I just really loved food and then ended up doing like four unit home science at, in high school. So it was really, it's you know, something thing. I wanted to spend a lot of time doing. Um, And then um, when I went to university, I majored in psychology. So I think that really did, you know, expand my interest in this whole mood side of things Mm. and human behavior. Um, And I just really wanted to help people more. So combining both, I suppose, is, you know, what's led me to what I'm doing today. Um, But I also spent a bit of time in the pharmaceutical industry. And the great thing about that was that it, Um, provides amazing training so I got a really great foundation in gastro um, gastroenterology and gut health stuff then really found out the mechanisms of how things work Uh, and then when I did my master's in dietetics I spent some time at the RPA allergy unit so that was awesome also because it added this new layer um, when it comes to food intolerance and um, of course, that's all related to the gut as well. So, absolutely, yeah, I've been just really fortunate that all of these things have sort of aligned and come together, and they've um, sort of led me to what I'm doing today, which is working with patients who have gut health issues. And it is such a common thing now. We're hearing more and more in the media about um, the importance and the role of the gut when it comes to general health and well-being. And now there's more more information coming out about how that is influencing our, our brain health. But can you can we go right back to the beginning and really sort of look at um, what does actually a, a healthy gut mean? What would a healthy gut actually look like if we were, you know, we, we all want a healthy gut. Yeah. We hear that we have to have a healthy gut, but what actually is a healthy gut? Yeah, um, it's a, a really great question. Um, and I think at this stage, it's something that's tricky to define. Yeah. I think it's quite, personalized for all of us like it depends on our age and 
you know, even between you and I, we have such a diverse mm. difference in the um, species that we carry. So I think it's really going to come down to, you know, more practical things because we can't yet say, you know, if you've got this group of bacteria in your gut that you're healthy or conversely, if you have this group of pathogens in your gut, you're unhealthy because we know that some of those pathogens like C. difficile um, can be found in healthy people. Mm. So the balance of them. That's yep. right. So it's really, it's still, we're not quite there in determining the organisms that make a healthy gut. Um, but the practical things, so things like, you know, just a feeling of general well being and happiness, I think is really important. Stress levels, um, we know stress has mm. a really huge impact on the gut. Symptoms like bloating, constipation, you know, diarrhea, pain, those sorts of things would all sort of give you an indication that something's not quite right in the gut. Even how well you sleep can be something that we would consider with gut health. And of course, what your poop looks like at the end of the day, because um, that can vary between people as well. So, you know, normal could be classified as going three times a day up to three times a week. Mm. So that's quite variable. Um, and quite individual. I think that's a really important thing to mention because I did see something I think just on Instagram this week saying if you're not going three times a week uh, a day sorry right. that's not normal now I know for me that mm. would be a miracle if that happened and <laughs> <laughs> um, that's never going to happen that's just not how I, I roll so I think it's not to compare yourself with others others it's knowing what's normal for you that's right and if you're concerned in any way shape or form then definitely talk to a health professional yes. start with your gp um, and see if you need some testing done or maybe you just need a dietitian to, or a nutritionist to look at your diet absolutely because yeah. I, I i do think that gets a little bit um yeah we we don't know what what normal is sometimes so yeah. when you were saying about the bacteria so so we all have bacteria in our gut, right? That's right, yep. So really, I guess, um, the, the research is very, very exciting on looking at um, the different types of bacteria and their function, but we still don't know exactly what that ratio or balance should be because we're all mm. different, aren't we? It's, That's it's right. It's a bit like a thumbprint, you know. We... Absolutely. It's a very good way to describe it. We're so unique in our composition, so even... Um, people that live together will share probably more yes. species than than what you and I would, um, but still, it's it's minimal in comparison to the total number of um, bacterial species that we carry. So, it is very much like a thumbprint. It's a good description. Mm. Mm. So, we often say the gut is the second brain. Mm -hmm. Can you explain a little bit more about that? So, how can our gut be our second brain? Yeah. <laughs> I think a practical way to describe it is to think back, like most people have experienced butterflies yes. in the tummy and that sort of nervous feeling. Um, and then maybe along with that comes diarrhea or even constipation yep. for some people when yep. they're carrying anxiety or nervousness. Um, and similarly, when our gut's not working well, our brain can feel foggy or yep. not quite right. So they're all signs that there's like this strong connection between our gut and our brain. Um, and that's the reason it's often um, referred to as the second brain. Um, in fact, we call it the enteric nervous system. And enteric really just means it relates to the intestine. So um, that in itself is made up of two thin layers of more than 100 million nerve cells. So there's just Incredible. so many in there that are sending little signals all the time. 
um, all the way from our esophagus down to our rectum. So it's all the way along the um, gastrointestinal tract. Um, and it's very separate from the central nervous system, which is the brain and the spinal cord. But it does, however, produce um, some of the same neurotransmitters as the brain. So things like serotonin, dopamine, um, and gamma aminobutyric acid, um, which all play a key role in regulating our mood. Um, so um, it's really such uh, like the second brain. I wonder if it should be called the first brain in some ways because mm. it's so important. Um, and it's connected by the biggest nerve in the body, which is called the vagus nerve. Um, and it's bi-directional. So like we yep. talked about at the start, it sort of sends signals both ways. Um, so it's really, um, it's sort of keeping us in touch with what's happening in our body um, compared to the brain. I find that fascinating that it is bi-directional, you know, so what's happening in the gut can communicate with the brain and the brain can communicate with the gut, essentially. That's right. Um, you know, I always say to people what, you know, we say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but what yeah, happens right. in the gut <laughs> doesn't actually stay in the gut. That's, that's a fascinating thing, that the gut has so much influence on sort of the whole body. Well, that's a, that's a good point because some bacteria only use this route to communicate. Um, Just ignore that. I don't know what it is on my computer. <laughs> yeah. um, some bacteria only communicate along the vagus nerve. So if there's a problem with that vagus nerve, they're not communicating yep. with the rest of the body. Um, whereas other microbes or bacteria um, produce the short-chain fatty acids like butyrate, propionate um, and acetate um, when they metabolize fiber and they communicate sort of in that way. Um, so if that communication's not working well, that's when conditions like autism might be seen. Um, and we're seeing some recent research on that um, just come out that they have just definitely found a link with the gut. Yeah, well, mm. that makes sense, doesn't it? And it also makes total with sense. the change in the diet over the years as well, mm. and more and more processed food and less yep. fresh food and, and less fiber, really, mm. which we know is so, so important for for our gut health. But I think a fascinating area of research to, to understand how, how the gut bacteria do play a role in our mood and, and in our brain. So when, when we're looking at that, when we're looking at the actual um, bacteria, so we know that we've got the enteric nervous system and the vagus nerve and that, that whole form of communication. Yep. How important are the actual microbes you know the actual bacteria in the gut um, well we're learning that they have the ability to affect our mood so it's still relatively early in the research but there has been a flurry of mm. um, new research in this area because it's really exciting to have another avenue to help these people because medication and um, you know uh, counseling doesn't always work in you know no. a small percentage of cases so um, this is another exciting area and we've also found that you know the gut microbiota from healthy people looks different to that of those that you know um, do suffer mood disorders so that's fascinating yeah, isn't it's it? clear yeah so um, yeah, so we're also learning that metabolites that are produced by those bacteria can um, alleviate some of the symptoms of anxiety and stress. And there's a couple of mechanisms, you know, um, 
how, uh, by the way that they, they do that. And one is that they promote the normal serotonin transmission. Um, and we know that serotonin um, is a neurotransmitter that's really yeah. implicated in mood and, and not up to 95% of that you know, is estimated to be formed in the gut. Um, so the levels of tryptophan in our body, which give rise to serotonin in the human brain, um, are, are something that needs to be supplied through diet, generally speaking. So things like bananas or poultry like turkey and chicken um, and milk and eggs. And then bifidobacteria are also capable of creating that tryptophan. So if we get that tryptophan um, happening well in the body and we're eating well to get that, then hopefully that helps the bacteria promote that normal serotonin transmission. Um, and then the other way is that they can dampen down our stress responses. So we know that stress increases cortisol in the body um, and in depression, cortisol can be elevated for like extended periods of time. So we really don't want that um, because it can be detrimental to our health, particularly mm. cardiovascular mm. health. Um, but certain bacteria like bifidobacteria, again, can dampen down that cortisol response, um, which is, you know, as I said, really important um, for our health. I find that fascinating. And also, if you think about the diet and what we eat, how much that can influence our mood by influencing, in a way, the production of, of these bacteria. Yeah. So it's kind of well, how much can we change by the diet and how much of that is just naturally low? You know, it, it's, yeah. a, it's a really interesting area to look at to see how much we can change by changing the foods that we eat. Yeah. And if we're naturally low in that bacteria, is that because of past generations and the, and the food that they ate mm -hmm. yes. as well? Absolutely, that definitely has a role to play and that is the concern with depleting our microbiome that then that, that bacteria or lack of bacteria will be passed on to generations and then the ability to actually change and um, alter that, you know, it can be done a little bit mm. by diet but how much it can be done, we're yet, we're yet to learn. Yeah, that's... Yeah. It's kind of exciting but frightening at the yeah. same time. Um, and I, I guess it does come down to sort of really being cognizant of, of what we are eating and, you know, for future generations yeah. as well. I think that that's so important. Yes, yeah, so important. Really great point. So what about foods that we can eat um, or some simple changes we can make in our diet to support our gut health and our mood? Because I know, for instance, if I have had um, maybe more processed food than I would normally eat or mm. I've, I've been away or it's been a weekend when it's, it's been not as um, rich in vegetables and, as I would have liked, mm. I definitely notice a change in my mood. Yeah. And I am someone that would suffer um, anxiety quite easily or mm. depression and mm -hmm. I know I have to be really careful with, mm. with what I eat because I will see a, a change in my mood quite quickly. Yeah. So how quickly can we, we alter the gut with what we eat? I think that can be that can actually happen quite quickly, mm. like even sort of two, three days. Yeah. Like even mm. even some research suggesting less, you know. Um, so um, I think it's really important to understand that role of the the microbiota is a metabolic organ in that mm. situation because we used to think, you know, the gut just was there for, you know, um, 
resorption of water and salt and disposal of waste materials and things like that. But now we know that the, the gut's actually a metabolic organ in its own right. Like it determines how many calories you get from food and what kind of nutrients you draw from it. So exactly what you're saying, it's really important to um, focus on what goes in to determine you know, um, how that affects our overall well-being. Um, and so if we looked at plant-based foods versus animal foods, for example, um, there's some byproducts in animal foods. Um, you may have heard of TMAO. Yes. yes. There's a big thing about it at the moment, right. I've noticed in the media. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and it's formed by bacteria. But some people might not know what it is. Oh, so <laughs> I do. <laughs> it's, it's trimethylamine um, oxide. So it's basically formed by bacteria during the digestion of animal products like mm. red meat um, and liver and things like that. And it can lead to the development of cardiovascular disease and heart attacks and strokes, things like that. So none of us want to have that. Um, and so we know like if the diet's really high in red meat, it significantly mm. increases those circulating TMAO levels um, compared to diets that may use white meat or non-meat sources um, for protein. So, so that sort of encourages us to look yep. at a Mediterranean style diet, I guess, um, because it contains 20% less lower protein levels than a typical Western diet. Um, and most of the protein in that kind of diet comes from legumes and whole grains. Yes, so plant it's protein. Very yeah. different, yeah. Um, and so that ratio of animal to plant protein um, results in 40% lower methionine production, which is amino acid. Um, and in some animal studies, they've found that if you have less methionine in the diet, it leads to a longer lifespan and reduces the risk of cancer. So, you know, it's all really, it's, we don't just say cut red meat back for the fun of it or because it's harder to digest or anything like that. There's actually research to show that some of those byproducts um, can, you know, be harmful if we're having too much of it. Um, and let's, I mean, there's an ad on television at the moment and it really irritates me every time it comes out because it's basically saying, eat processed meat every day of the week. Oh, yes, I've seen that. You probably know the one I'm talking about. <laughs> and it just infuriates yeah. me because it's implying it's a, it's a healthy thing to do. Mm. Um, we know that processed meat in particular is, is detrimental to, to our health and I think the World Health Organization's even, you know, deemed it as a... a carcinogen class mm. one but um I, I think it's an a really important thing to mention how um too much animal product particularly meat in the diet can be detrimental because a lot of people do eat meat um you know bacon for breakfast ham in a sandwich at lunchtime and then red meat at dinner time mm. and that's a lot of meat to that's be having right. and it's typical to how the western diet has been for so long and i think people are starting to realize that they maybe need a higher fiber diet now because we've been harping on about it quite a lot um, and the thing with a higher fiber diet it does increase the levels of the specific bacterial groups in mm. our gut that produce short chain fatty acids um, particularly butyrate because um, if we adhere to it like a plant-rich mediterranean style diet that is high in fiber um, we will find that we get greater micro microbiota diversity which is really what we're striving for when it comes to optimal health um, so 
um, so some simple changes to answer your yes. original question no, this is great. Um, would be to go on a Mediterranean style diet. So include more, you know, fiber from whole grains, fruits and veggies, nuts and seeds, things like that. Um, throw in some fermented foods into your diet as well. Um, choose protein more in the form of fish and chicken and tofu, legumes, that kind of thing. And maybe just limit red meat to once or twice a week. So the Australian Dietary Guidelines, I know, say 455 grams. So for most people, like that might just be twice a week. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Um, and, and especially decreasing those um, ultra-processed foods and trans fats in the diet um, is another key part. And the trans fats are coming from a lot of the, the processed foods, aren't That's they? That's right. Yep. Biscuits and cakes and all the stuff chips we love. and stuff like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, it's, it's such a big thing. And I think with fibre in particular, I, I do think um, fibre is just not recognised as in the media. It, it's not a sexy thing to talk about. It's not an exciting thing to talk about. And it's like, oh, yeah, let's just get some fibre. I, I think a lot of people think fibre is just important for um, making the bowels more regular, mm. but it is so much more than that. That's you know, right. it, it really is going to help to protect us from disease, mm. you know, with that short-chain fatty acid production, which in a way is going to help reduce inflammation in the... Um, gut and really protect us from certain diseases particularly things like bowel cancer and things like that so That's right, yeah. you know get that fiber <laughs> into the diet into you <laughs> so so important yeah. so which foods so we said the fiber we said the beans mm -hmm. um the prebiotics what would be the the prebiotic foods that we we need to increase to help with the production of our own bacteria in the gut if we're looking at sort of getting that variety of different plant-based foods in the diet is that going to be providing us with those prebiotics um yes largely and that's why i guess i mean a prebiotic is something that will feed the good bacteria so it's you know up until recently we thought it was just um different carbohydrates and fiber but now we know that it also includes polyphenols and things like that. So that's really good news. And um, the polyphenols are coming from the, the fruits and the vegetables and the even right. extra virgin extra olive oil. Extra virgin olive oil. We love that extra sort of virgin stuff. olive yeah, oil. We can't get enough of that. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's the particular type of fibre. Not all fibre is prebiotic fibre. Mm. So some is just used for roughage. So that's the insoluble fibre that just goes through and you know, gives you bulk yep. um, in your stool. And that's, if you think of an apple, for example, that would be the skin of the apple. Yep. Um, whereas the soluble fiber, like the good stuff that's feeding the bacteria is the flesh of the apple. So it's sort of more gelatinous, in, breaks down to be more gelatinous in the gut and it goes through slowly. Um, it helps to keep us fuller for longer and it feeds the good bacteria. So it's prebiotic fiber so some really high sources of things like um, you know bananas green bananas celery jerusalem artichokes onions and garlic chicory don't know if anyone eats chicory um, anymore i don't think i've ever eaten it no actually. i've had chicory yeah. tea yes um, yeah um, but it's in lots of things like it's um it's in legumes you know um and the fiber not the chicory yeah exactly <laughs> Sorry, the fibre. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so um, we call we call these, there's a new term for them called um, microbiota accessible carbohydrates, yes. so MAX, if you ever hear, hear that term, yep. MAX for short, 
are pretty much prebiotic fibers. So the ones that will feed the good bacteria in the gut. Um, so we want to make sure we eat a diverse range of fruit and vegetables and whole grains so that we're getting enough of those um, to really increase that diversity of the probiotics or the bacteria. I think that that's a key message at the yeah. moment, isn't it? it it's yeah. getting variety, diversity um, and the importance of you know, being experimental with the diet and, and introducing different fruits and vegetables that you may not normally eat. Mm. And so many people I know that will only eat peas and carrots. Yeah, right. Um, and it's about experimenting. In, you know, I say to people, introduce a new fruit or a new vegetable every week, get mm. creative. There's always new fresh produce out, you know, yeah. seasonal produce that um, is going to allow us to increase that diversity of, of what we're eating. Yeah, and season eating seasonally is ideal for that reason, isn't it? Because mm. you can't get, well, unfortunately we can get everything now. Well, but that's the thing, isn't it? If you it? find the things that are on special, they're generally the things in abundance that are produced locally. So um, that's, a, that's a really good point to eat seasonally. So really, you know, when we're saying plant-based, we're talking mm -hmm. about having sort of a large majority of your diet coming from plants. Mm -hmm. And that would be things like including whole grains and yeah. um, beans and brightly colored fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds as well would, right. would all be classified there and sort yeah. of still including some animal mm -hmm. products yes. if, if you want to, um, but not making the majority of your diet animal-based, which is what, as we were saying earlier, some people do. That's right. And if you think about the traditional Mediterranean diet, it's not the Mediterranean diet that's got pizza and pasta and all of that sort of thing, but just a traditional diet. It was actually um, a diet created by the, the less well-off or the peasants actually in those Mediterranean countries. And so they had to live off what they could grow. Um, so they pretty much lived off plants and, and things, even the planting their olive trees and, and mm -hmm. things like that. And meat would be something that they would have very um, irregularly because it was expensive yeah. and rare. Um, so, you know, trying to sort of get back to our um, earthly roots, I think, is and a they would way have the whole think. grains, you know, not the refined, That's it. processed. You know, That's the it. white bread would that was only for the rich people, really. That's right, <laughs> poor rich Got people. It all, yeah, poor rich people. Got it all wrong. Yeah. Got it all wrong. I'm going to be having a peasant meal tonight. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. What about when it comes to something like um, inflammatory gut issues mm -hmm. and, and brain health? Because we know that inflammation in the gut may also be affecting our brain. How does that, that work? Yeah, so with inflammation, like that chronic low-grade mm. internal inflammation, it's very different to sort of the inflammation you get if you cut yourself or... You know, you get a, a cough or something like that. Um, but it's pretty much um, describing the body state when the immune system is switched on. Um, so it's usually the result of external stresses. So it might be things like life events that have happened to us that have really put us under pressure. It might even be just toxins in skincare products or cleaning products um, or medications or drugs that we're taking. Or it might be cigarette smoke, whether it's your own or somebody else's that you're exposed to. And of course, the foods that we mm -hmm. select as well, like they're, um, they're all going to, um, you know, cause that increase in, you know, circulating immune mediators and cytokines in the body. Um, and that increased inflammation has been linked to depression. 
um, as well as a myriad of other chronic health um, mm. conditions such as heart disease and high blood pressure and type 2 diabetes, etc. Pretty much, pretty much so many diseases you can list that have got an inflammatory connection to them. That's right. And the highly processed foods that we've been talking about and refined foods, they have definitely been associated with increased inflammatory markers in the body. Um, whereas a diet rich in fruit and veggies and um, good fats, you know, the omega-3 essential fatty acids, decrease inflammation in the body. So, um, so... <laughs> My dog in the background, we'll just keep going today. It's all happening this morning. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, it's, you know, the best laid plans. Um, so the gut epithelium or the gut wall um, is a barrier that's, you know, it's designed to sort of prevent harmful substances going through and, and causing inflammation. But sometimes, like if we can put it in basic terms, like if there's an overabundance of those bad bacteria or pathogens, um, they end up feeding on the mucus lining yeah. of the gut wall. And then those um, little tight junctions, um, you know, are no longer so tight. And then, and then there's a breakthrough in the wall, and that can cause the chronic inflammation problem as well. And it's like a leaky gut type thing. Exactly, yep. exactly. Um, so that's why, once again, it's really important to have the high fiber diet, um, have the short chain fatty acids being produced by the good bacteria, um, and butyrate. I think we mentioned mm. before. Um, it, it particularly which has, is one of the short chain fatty acids that's it, yeah. yeah one of the short chain fatty acids but it has a particular role in maintaining that gut barrier function so um, yeah it's really really important to you know get that high fiber diet happening for that reason <laughs> awesome awesome so the foods that we really want to minimize are really those those processed foods aren't they yeah particularly the ultra processed foods so ultra processed means things that you don't really recognize <laughs> like it might be puffed within an inch of its mm. life it's no longer in the form of a food that are a natural food that you recognize and, and the additives as well absolutely i mean i did actually just pick up a packet of cereal yesterday mm -hmm. and it looked really natural mm -hmm. and then it had all these food additives mm. and maltodextrin and all sorts of things added and mm. i just thought what a shame because i thought that was going to be healthy <laughs> yeah and it's really disappointing isn't it and yeah. even emulsifiers yeah. so there's some recent research showing that emulsifiers can degrade the integrity of the gut wall as well and emulsifiers you know the job is to sort of make the product more consistent and even and they're pretty much in everything mm. Any um, processed food, aren't they? That's really? right. Yes. Yeah, so even the supposedly health food. We actually did a whole podcast on on leaky gut and, and right. you know the additives and the things can, that can be a Covered be an issue. Yeah. Um. So check out the leaky gut one if mm -hmm. you if you haven't already. Um. So the if we reduce the inflammation by changing the diet and mm -hmm. getting those short chain fatty acids produced by getting the prebiotics mm -hmm. etc., we could potentially um, look at improving um, mood as well. That's right, yeah. So inflammation is really something that's been linked to all of these sort of chronic conditions, including depression and anxiety. So if we can close those tight junctions in the gut wall, reduce inflammation, then we may have some chance, hopefully, of improving um, our mood. And there is some sort of talk and sort of chatter at the moment about a new area of research and the psychobiotics. Yes. Um, 
and I believe that they would be sort of using probiotics or you know basically they're using bacteria to, to modulate the the microbiota to, to help your mood so I think that could be something that's a, an area of research that's such an exciting still area. more research needed yes. I know but yeah. The fact that we could actually use psychobiotics or bacteria to actually increase our mood, to me, that's so exciting. Uh, I think um, Professor Ted Dynan out of Ireland, yeah. same surname, different spelling. Funny that. I know. Um, <laughs> no <all> relation. <laughs> Possibly, haven't really looked into it. Um, but yeah, so he coined that term yes. psychobiotic. It's fascinating to oh, listen to. Such a great, um, great researcher. And um, I think it's, it's sort of really referring to anything that's able to have that positive effect on mental health um, through a change in the gut yep. microbiome. So even probiotics and um, exercise, I know mm. he talks a lot mm. about exercise being amazing, particularly aerobic exercise um, for mood. Yep. Yeah, so, and endorphins as well, I guess. Ah, yep. 100%. And so I think he's prescribing a lot of now food-based therapy as well as exercise therapy for his patients that he's working with. Um, and there has been research showing that bifidobacteria and lactobacilli um, have had antidepressant effects. Mm. Um, you know, So that's really exciting as well that we're starting to see that. So definitely an area that we need to invest more time and focus into. I just find that really, really exciting. And I'm uh, excited to see where, where that goes. So I, I guess talking about probiotic supplements, um, there is a lot of hype about them. Um, what about when it comes to things like probiotic foods? How effective do you think they are? Um, I think when it comes to probiotic foods, um, so when we say that, like not all foods that... Mm. Um, are fermented, <coughs> excuse me, are necessarily probiotic. It means it would have to have a have to have a benefit to the body. To the body, yeah. Um, and probably you know in the food space there hasn't been as much much research because they're sort of you know shorter term, lower margin products. So they ha they don't invest the the money in in food products to determine that. Um, whereas they whereas they might do that in a pharmaceutical drug. You know they have to do all of those um, clinical trials and research, and a big, much bigger markup on those pharmaceutical. More money to be made in hundred percent. The, the, the research yeah. is there. I think that's a good point because I do see a lot of products. You see them in the health food stores, in the health food aisle. You just see them in the supermarket because it's become a buzzword. They have probiotic mm. written on them. Mm. They may not be a probiotic supplement, but they're saying that they're a probiotic food, mm. and I think we do need to be careful of that because as you said, the research isn't there on those foods to actually back up those claims that they are having a beneficial effect on the health or even how many probiotics are in there because obviously probiotics, the majority of them are very, very um, sensitive mm. to things like time, they die off, um, even heat. So there may even be probiotics added to some foods, but then sort of, few weeks later months later how effective that probiotic is, is is very very questionable that's right so that's why choosing a product that would be refrigerated would be probably a better mm. choice than something on the shelf because quite often they've had to sterilize um, you know the the whole yeah. product and packaging um, on a shelf so it would have killed off pretty much everything 
um, but you want to be looking for on the packaging words like live, raw, you know, you know, 10 billion colony forming units, the CFUs um, per 100 grams, I yeah. think it is. Um, so you want to you be trying to sort of um, get a good quality product when it comes to that. And, the, and even then, I guess it depends on your gut and which probiotics you need. That's right. So that's no why it's one hard size, to yeah. say, isn't <laughs> There's it? There's no one size fits all no. for everyone. So I guess my way of thinking is sometimes probiotics are overrated. Mm. And I think that's when it is good to speak to a professional such as yourself to understand if you need probiotics and which ones in particular because what you would need is very different to what I'm going to need. That's right. And and do we do we even know that yet? Exactly. We, we maybe don't know that. And so yeah. quite often, you know, I'll say to my clients like if they're on one or they want to try one, go ahead and do that. But you you'd want to give it a month and see if you feel any different. Um, and if you do great, um, but if you don't then, you know, you probably are wasting yep. your money on that yeah um, but we have found too that within four to eight weeks after stopping taking any of those products that the effect completely disappears yep. those transient bacteria that you're adding are no longer there yeah so, so they really are transient aren't that's they? right so they'll only provide benefit whilst you're taking them that's a really good point because I think that might be something that some people are, are unaware so really I think that the evidence at the moment really is pointing us towards the prebiotics, isn't it? There's a lot of exciting research in the prebiotic space um, and, you know, the prebiotic foods because they, they have the opportunity to feed the bacteria and, and they're help not them. live bacteria, That's are right. they? I think we need yeah. to, yeah. No, they're, they're just, the, yeah. pre, the prebiotic is the food yeah. for the bacteria in your gut. So, yeah, so all of those things we've been talking about, like the high fiber foods, the polyphenols from things like the extra virgin olive oil and that sort of thing. Berries. Berries, mm. like all of those um, beautiful, rich, um, coloured, coloured, highly flavoursome foods um, are the things that are going to help feed and help your gut bacteria um, multiply. Fantastic. So if you had your pick of top three foods for a good mood yes. and a healthy gut, what would they be? So that is the biggest question. <laughs> if you could just say three. Three things. I know there's probably... So if I chose like a fibre, a fat and a, yeah. a fermented, my fibre food would probably be legumes. Yeah. Um, so things like chickpeas, lentils, beans. I'm absolutely just obsessed with them because yes. they have so many other benefits in the diet um, besides the fibre. So they, they have this second meal effect which helps keep you satisfied as well. Um, and they, they do have that resistant starch fibre. So that's particularly good for feeding the good bacteria. And full of nutrients. Full of well. nutrients as well. What about, I mean, legumes are so important for our health. What about people, because I, I get this said to me a lot, I can't eat beans. Yeah, so a lot of people, like they, they naturally um, do produce gas in a lot of people. Mm. Um, so if, if you rinse them really well or soak them really well, like sometimes I find some of those packet beans, you need to actually soak for yes. more than 24 hours. You want to really try and soften them up. And then you want to get rid of the water because a lot of those um, fermentable sugars come out into that soaking water and they're the things that cause the, the tummy um, ache or yes. the gas, that sort of thing. So we want to just make sure we rinse them really well um, cook them if they haven't been cooked and then we can get rid of a lot of those problematic substances. And I think something you said to me earlier as well which I think is a really good point to mention is 
maybe if you do find that, you know, try all the tips that you've just mentioned and really soaking and rinsing them, but maybe just start with very small amounts. Mm. You know, people sort of go all or nothing and think, right, beans are really good for me yeah. and they'll have a whole can of beans. <laughs> That's right. And then wonder why they're in a world of pain. Yeah. So maybe even just a teaspoon or a tablespoon to start mm. with on people that are sensitive may be a really good place to start. It is. It can work. Um, I have had patients that I've literally started on a teaspoon yeah. and we've worked up to, you know, quarter of a cup, half a cup um, over time. Yes. It just takes persistence and patience and not worrying about a little bit of discomfort and gas. Um, you know, that that is probably quite normal for them but the the benefit that they will get out of feeding the good bacteria i think overshadows mm. you know a few of those little symptoms i agree it's mm. a it's a really important thing to mention i think yeah. so beans yeah, are so one the, of your top yeah so it was my fiber my fat would be extra virgin olive yes. oil i'm sorry i'm just obsessed with that stuff um, so extra virgin olive oil for, um, you know, all of the polyphenols, the oleocanthal, like all of the health benefits. And it's really like the, the staple that's in all of yes. the Mediterranean diets. So all of the countries that border the Mediterranean Sea, if there's one common thing that they have, um, it is extra virgin olive oil. So I would absolutely choose that. And then my fermented food. And that's food. fine to cook oh. with too, isn't it? 100%. I mean, let's just get that yep. one out of the way. Because I had someone just last week say, oh, what, what oil can I cook with? Because apparently you can't cook with extra virgin olive oil or olive oil. It's like, you want extra virgin olive oil and that's the one you want to be cooking with. So. That's right. You can cook with that up to 200 degrees Celsius, which is more than adequate for most domestic cooking. Um, so I even use it in baking. Yes, you know. me too. Yep. <laughs> and I put it on my food. It's anti-inflammatory. I, I just think it's it's one of the best things it's you can It's the bee's have. knees for sure. Um, and, and great then, for skin too. Absolutely. Well. Yeah. Um, and then my fermented food, I'd probably choose kefir to be honest. Mm. Um, just because it is so high in um, different strains of bacteria. And I think it's um, something, you know, that most people... Um, would be willing to give a go. It's quite tart. It's like a tart Greek yogurt, um, but really versatile to be adding, you know, into um, snacks or meals. You know, I think it's probably the one I would choose. That and sauerkraut. And um, both readily available from supermarkets. Yes, well. they are now. Yes, mm. which is really good. The supermarkets are good in keeping up with the latest um, trends. And kefir's quite. You know, for somebody that does have, I guess, dairy issues or mm. um, dairy intolerance, mm -hmm. how would they go with the kefir? So there's a couple of ways that they could go with it. So it, if they have a lactose intolerance, then they should be okay with kefir because the bacteria actually break down the lactose molecules. So they should be able to tolerate that. If it's more of a milk protein mm. intolerance, you can actually get a water-based kefir. Yes. So that might be something worth... Um, keeping an eye Great. out for. Awesome. Yeah. Great tips. So all those foods are going to help with good gut health and also mm -hmm. a, a good a good mood. Yes. Um, now you have a good mood diet program that you've just launched as well, haven't you? Yes. So all of this um, kind of research and thinking has gone into that program. Um, it is called the Good Mood Diet and it is specifically designed for people with low mood um, or anxiety or even just people wanting to feel a little bit better and get more onto a Mediterranean style diet. Mm. Um, it is based around um, a Mediterranean style diet because that is one of the best research diets in the world and it's certainly got research around it in relation to mood. 
Um, and real research. And what I mean mm. by that is, you know, just look at the people living it. Yes. It, 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 you know, people literally live and are healthy and, you know, this is human tried and tried and tested. Um, and probably one of the the few diets that has got that much um, evidence, if you like, that people are living to a good age on yeah. the on the Mediterranean diet with, with very low rates of, of disease. That's right, which is what we're all striving yes. for at the end of the day. Um, so it's not a fad at all. Mm. It's It starts off with a, you know, um, 28 day, it's a starter, I call it a starter program. Yeah. So it just um, gives you the tools to get into it for that period of time. Plus there's education modules to teach you how to do it yourself. For life so that's where it differs I think to a lot of other programs it's not just there for the short term it's actually teaching you how to do it for the longer term um, and sustain that way of eating for the longer term and the recipe bank that we have we're constantly adding to so people can um, get so there's recipes there for people that want absolutely to there's it. recipes and meal plans and a whole bunch of other resources there's um, some podcasts and there's also some meditations and mindfulness exercises, awesome. things like that. So we try to look at the whole, um, the whole picture. And you know, we're talking about the diet, the good mood diet that's going to help with sort of mood and and mind and wellness. But the Mediterranean diet or lifestyle is just so much more than that as well. Mm. So there's going to be knock-on effects because of its sort of anti-inflammatory effects. It's going to help with gut health in, in general. So it's really general overall health and well-being, isn't That's it? That's right. Yeah. So even though it's not even pitched at things like general yeah. health or weight loss, for example, you know, people will probably feel so good on it. Could just be a side effect. <laughs> that they might have that as a side effect. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think the, the important thing with that is that it is sustainable. It's something that the whole family can do. That's it, yeah. It's something that you, it's a way of life, isn't it? It's That's a, right. a lifestyle. That's it. And there's a lot of, um, we've included a lot of one tray bake type meals that yes. are great it's for my the family. Yes, exactly. Simple things that you can, um, you know, prepare on the weekend and have throughout the week. So there's plenty of things like that to make it easy and practical. That's awesome. That's yeah. such a good thing to be doing. Um, so look, I mean, you are the, the gut health dietitian. There are a lot of people with, with gut issues, food intolerances, um, people with low mood, etc. If somebody really wants to talk to you and have some one-on-one some -on -one mm -hmm. guidance, how can they contact you? Um, yes, and that's absolutely what I do. So um, I work out of three different private practices, but they could get in touch with me if they just go to um, my website, which is thegoodmooddiet.com.au. Um, or it could be even through Instagram, which is just at the.guthealthdietitian. Make sure you get the on there because yeah, the yeah. dot gut health dietitian. And where are your practices around Sydney, aren't they? Yes, yeah, so they're in Sydney, Sydney, so in Leichhardt, yeah. um, in Balmain and in Neutral Bay. Great. Yeah. So all bases covered. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Nicole, for, for sharing your expertise. I think, you know, brain health is, is and mood, such an important topic. And the more we can do by helping that with choosing the right foods, I think can only be a good thing. Thanks so much, Fiona. Thank you.